Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 828. After the previous introduction, this long introduction explaining the difference between the two loves that a Jew has to God. One is a natural, instinctive love. And one is, so to speak, a manufactured love, a created love, which comes about as a result of intense focus and concentration and deep meditation and reflection and perception, understanding. And that leads a person to develop a feeling of love towards, towards godliness or versus a natural love, which is the love of the tzaddik. And based on this, he now comes back to the original question. The original question was, he questioned the verse that states, King Solomon writes in Proverbs, educate a child according to his way, according to his path, so that when he grows older, this education will not depart from him. And the question he asked is, what does the verse mean? Why would he educate a child according to his path? His path means it's not the genuine path. It's only his path. So what's the advantage of educating a child according to his path? You want to educate a child, you want to elevate them. That he should not be a child. He should no longer be a child. Why are you telling educate a child that he should be a child according to his path? Meaning not the right path, but the childish path. What's the advantage of educating someone in a childish path? And to make it even, and, uh, it's even more puzzling when the, when the verse continues, so that even when he grows older, meaning... When the child ceases to be a child and grows up, this path, this childish path, will never leave him, will always remain with him. What's, what's the big deal? What's the, why is this such a great ideal that the childish path should continue with him even as he grows older? Growing older, education is all about ceasing to be a child, outgrowing your child. So what's the great advantage of having this childish ways continue even into your adulthood, even, even in, your, in your elder age. So based on this explanation, based on this introduction, that there are two levels of love, now he comes to answer, address this verse. Page 828, after the Hebrew uh, letters. those who are familiar with the esoteric meaning of Scripture know the meaning of the verse, for a tzaddik may fall seven times and yet rises again. Even a tzaddik can, as it were, fall from his level and then regain his stature. There thus exists a certain interval of time during which he does not maintain his higher level of love for God. The verse says that a tzaddik, again, it says in Proverbs, that a tzaddik can fall seven times, but at all times he will pick himself up, he will rise again. But a person, a person does not stand still. Life is not static. Life is constant motion. Motion means forward, but it also means one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. Like mountain climbing. You climb, you slide back. Then you climb ahead, you slide back. You climb ahead, you fall back. Life is constant motion, back and forth. And this is true of every person. And a person should not be discouraged. If a person has a setback, a spiritual setback, you feel that you're moving, you're progressing, you're growing, and suddenly you feel like you're driving in reverse. You're going backwards, and maybe you're smashing into something also. Hopefully you didn't run over anyone. 
but you feel like you're going in reverse. Here your life is progressing very nicely and suddenly you feel like you're walking backwards. Don't be discouraged, don't feel dejected. This is part of the movement of life, the constant motion of life, back and forth. So the tzaddik will fall seven times. Even a tzaddik, someone who's perfect, can also fall from his level and then he goes back. In other words, everyone according to their own level. Even a tzaddik goes on the highest level, there comes an interval where he's not on his own level. He's not on the level, he's not on his highest level. He's not at his best. Not everyone is always at their best. You're not always at your peak. There are moments at your peak, and the truth is the, the, a tzaddik is someone who has mastered and is able to be at his peak quite often, and maybe most of the time. But even a tzaddik, the tzaddik is not at his own peak. There are times when he's like, he's just standing still, or if not falling back, comparison to his own level. It's like a lull, a quiet, and that's to be expected. That happens to everyone. Now, Al-Tarebi is going to go on to explain that this is a necessity. It's not only that it's part of human nature, it's part of human weakness that a person cannot maintain his peak and he has to fall back. It's a necessity. Why is it a necessity? Because life demands from us that we should continuously move forward. We should continue to climb, climb upward. Now it's impossible to move forward unless you lose your balance. You have to leave your previous level in order to move forward. You can't really grow unless you reach a, a lull, you reach a state, a state of where you're in flux, where you feel a little destabilized. It's like a seed cannot grow unless the seed will rot. There's no spurt of growth unless there's rot. The seed has to lose itself before it can grow and sprout into something, into something great. In order for the seed to reach its potential, if a seed will remain a seed, the seed can never reach its potential. A beautiful tree. How do you get from the seed to a beautiful tree? So the seed has to go through... The seed has to go through a process of rotting. Now at that moment that the seed rots, it's a very precarious situation. It's a very dangerous situation because at that moment you have no tree and you have no seed. You're nothing. You're in a state of nothingness, in a state of limbo. You're like lost. You're like you lost your balance. So there are times in your life when you feel you, you, you have your act together and you feel balanced and you feel together and everything is connected and, and, and the engine is running on all, all cylinders and everything is roaring, forward, roaring ahead. And then suddenly you lose your balance. You're like nowhere. You're not here. You're not there. You feel very uncomfortable. You feel like a setback, you feel you're, you're driving back, backwards, you're going backwards. And, but really, what's really going on, and this is true of all setbacks, what are really all setbacks about? They're really part of your growth, they're part of your growth to go forward. But the only way to go forward is through, through, through the setback. Because there cannot be any birth. It's called birthing pains. You can't have any birth unless you have a little chaos, a little nothingness. Because every act of creativity has to come from nothing, something from nothing. So you have to reach a level of nothingness in order to be able to be creative. The seed has to reach a level of nothingness. The seed has to rot. The seed has to disappear. The seed has to totally lose its dimensions, lose its identity, and become nothing 
become totally part of the earth in order for the seed to realize its potential. So any spurt of growth has to go through the level of nothingness. So this is really the dynamics that really go on whenever a person feels in their own personal life, in your own personal growth. You have a spurt of growth, and then suddenly you feel like you're a neutral even worse. You're like going in reverse. Your life, suddenly you lose balance. You're in chaos. You're not in control. Things are not connecting. It's just not happening. Things are not the way you like it to be. And you feel lost. But really, this is all part of the spurt, of the next spurt of growth. Because in order, in order to achieve growth, you can't achieve growth. You can't come to an answer unless you have a question. If you have no question, you'll never get to the answer. It's the question that leads you to the answer. So the question is a really, it's a, a troubling thing. It, it troubles you. It, it obstructs. It blocks your growth. You feel frustrated. It frustrates your growth. Things are unclear. Things don't make sense. But yet that's what leads you to the next spurt of growth. It's only the question that could lead the way and open up into a new opening, into a new understanding, a new level, a higher level, a deeper level, a deeper understanding. So the truth is that the setback, the descent, is really part of the ascent. The one step back is really part of the two steps forward. In order to jump ahead, you have to step back, and then you can run and jump ahead. So while at the time it feels like a setback, it feels like you're sliding down the mountain, and it feels like you, you, you lost your grip, and you lost your balance, and you're, it's a free fall. It feels like a free fall. But the truth is, it's really part of the next spurt of growth. Because the truth is, what comes first? The question or the answer? Ah, you say the question. Two Jews, three opinions. What does anyone else say? <laughs> Everyone agrees? It's a good question. It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> That's <good>. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, the question, the question doesn't come first. The question contains the answer. The answer comes first. The answer leads to the question. If you would not have had the answer, you would never have had the question. Why is it that yesterday everything made perfect sense? Everything was crystal clear. You got it. You connected all the dots. Everything was there. It all fits. It's all perfect. Suddenly, the next day, suddenly, you're lost. You're puzzled. You're troubled. You're frustrated. Nothing makes sense. It's inadequate. Yesterday's explanation doesn't do it. It doesn't make sense. What happened? Yesterday you had a perfect explanation. Everything made sense. And suddenly you're a day older and suddenly it doesn't... It's because I was wrong the day before. No, you weren't wrong the day before. Because yesterday you were right. You were 100% right the day before. At that level. Ah, because now you've matured. You've grown older. Yesterday's answer led you to the deeper level. You've graduated. And that elevated you to a higher level. Now, in comparison to a higher level, yesterday's answer doesn't do it anymore. It's not the truth anymore. It's not my truth anymore. It doesn't answer the question. I, I have to seek out something much deeper. I am ready and open for a much, much deeper explanation. And therefore, yesterday's level of explanation is simply inadequate. It doesn't do it. So it's the answer that leads to the question. Some of the greatest writers had the biggest breakthroughs in their creativity after they went through severe bouts of depression. And that prepared them. That, while they were depressed, that was what, they were, what they were really experiencing was that internally, subconsciously, they felt stuck. 
Their lives, as it was totally formed and shaped on a conscious level, was totally inadequate. It was totally not allowing them to express what, what they intimated deep down inside. They just knew that there's some mystery out there, some secret that they just weren't, weren't tapping into. And their lives felt totally frustrated. So in truth, it's the answer that leads to the question. It's because you're ready for the next level, you're ready for the next step, that suddenly the previous answer suddenly seems inadequate. Yesterday was perfectly adequate, and it was. It was the true answer, it was the correct answer, it was the right answer. On my level, yesterday, this was the perfect answer. It resolved everything for me. Internally, externally, it, just, it was perfect. The perfect answer, the real answer. But precisely because of that was the genuine answer, that leads me to the next level. I graduated. And now on the next level, on a higher level, in comparison to a higher level, yesterday's answer is totally inadequate. I need something much deeper, much more penetrating, much more genuine, much more to the core, to the essence, to the point. And therefore, suddenly, I feel like I'm in a, a freefall. It doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. I'm frustrated. I feel inadequate. I lost my balance. I'm lost. I'm confused. I feel dark. But out of this darkness comes the end. If you can live in that state for at least a day, can't you live in that state forever if you want to? Feeling like you have the answer, you're satisfied, you're fine, like you were yesterday. Okay. The Baal Shem once said, the Baal Shem is the, the Hasidic founder, founder of the Hasidic movement, whom the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tan, used to refer to as Zaydia's grandfather, spiritual grandfather. He used to say, Give me any question, and I'll give you the answer. Give me any answer, and I'll give you a question on that answer. Because life is infinite. And there are infinite levels. What's a true answer on one level? And it is a true answer, because on this level it really gets to the heart of the matter. We all know what a true answer is. A true answer is sometimes you have a question, and you ask the teacher a question. And the teacher gives you a brilliantly logical answer, but you know, you're not satisfied. Because you can't adequately express what's bothering you. The teacher gave you on paper, it looks like a very logical answer, but he's not really answering your question. Because you, you yourself don't necessarily know where your question is coming from. You may verbalize your question one way, but what's bothering you inside is maybe it's nothing to do with the way you verbalize or how you verbalize what's really troubling you. A good teacher, someone who's truly listening to the student, is able to really get to the heart of the matter. And he's able to give an answer. And the student says, you know, oh, beautiful. That's exactly what I, that's what I was looking for. Now it makes perfect sense to me. It's resolved inside. It feels good. It feels, it fits. It's real. And then the next day, you grow up, and suddenly, yesterday's answer doesn't do it for you anymore. Not because it was a false answer. On the lower level, it was a perfect answer. It was a genuine answer. But what was genuine on that level is not what's genuine on another level. Because what, what gets to the heart and to the point on one level, when you reach another level, you also have to get to the center. You also have to get to the point and the center and the core of that level. Truth is very dynamic. There's one truth. But that truth is the core and the center of each and every level. So you, whichever level you're at, you really have to get to the truth of that level, to the core and the center of that level. So yesterday's answer is, doesn't do it for me anymore because yesterday's answer elevated me to a higher level. I graduated to a higher level and now I need a much deeper explanation. So I continue seeking. And it's infinite. God is infinite. Life is infinite. It's, it's the, the levels of knowledge are infinite. So whatever level you're at, you cannot stay still. You cannot stand still. 
That is the whole point he's trying to make here. Man is called a, we walk, we, we walk, we walk, we jump, we move. The sign of life is movement, change. We do not stand still. Life is dynamic, life is vibrant. And at every level that we're at, we have to find the center of that level. We have to find the core, the essence, the truth of that level. But how do you, get, how do you achieve peace? Because on every level, you're getting to the truth of that level. In other words, today, I am living the truth. I'm in touch with the truth. Because today, I've exerted myself, I have spent the time and the effort, and today, I've gotten to the truth of today. Today, I am on all cylinders. I, am, I, am, I feel connected, and I am centered, and today, my life is together. I have my act together. Tomorrow is a new day, a new challenge, a new effort. You have to eat all over again. Just because I ate yesterday, it's not enough for tomorrow. Tomorrow is a new day. You have to start all over again. You have to eat all over again. That's not a good analogy. You have to pray all over again. You have to study Torah all over again. It's a new day. I have to find myself today. I have to find the center of my truth today. I have to reach the core, the truth, because it's dynamic. Truth is not static. Truth, absolute truth, is dynamic. At every level, you have to constantly, it has to engage you. And it has to, you have to find the core, the center of, of whatever level you're at, which integrates everything, brings it all together, pulls it all together, connects everything together, connects all the dots, brings it all together, integrates you, where you feel your life is integrated. We all have those moments when we feel that our life is integrated and we're connected and things are moving forward. And the challenge is each and every day that we should we should reach, reach that level. Hanukkah is around the corner. What's the, the lesson of Hanukkah? Yesterday, you lit, the first day, you light one candle, and it's perfect. You make a blessing. The second night, you can't light one candle. It doesn't do it. It's not good enough. That was the first night. Now I have to grow. I have to light two candles. The third night, two, two, two nights was not... Two nights. Last night was good, but now I'm a day older. I'm a day wiser, day mature. I have to grow. I have to move forward. It's constant movement, constant change, constant challenge. Truth has to challenge you. It has to evoke a response within you. It has to inspire you. It has to move you. It has to engage you until you, till you feel integrated, until you feel connected and centered and focused. And that comes with effort. So you're right. Every day, every day is an effort. We were created to work. Life is, is not a picnic. Life is effort. Life is focus, concentration, effort, connection, and getting at the truth of each, each and every day, getting at our truth, connecting with the truth. We say the same words of prayer each and every morning. Because every day we have to connect, we have to center ourselves. It's, every day it's a new struggle. We have to eat all over again, we have to pray all over again. Every day is a brand new day. We're a day wiser, a day older, a day more mature, a day more experienced. And therefore we have to, we have to, we have to connect on a deeper level. This is about life, but life is dynamic. Life is vibrant. Life is constant movement, constant change. Life is not just the fact that we're not dead. There's more to life than <laughs> not being dead. <laughs> life is dynamic, is vibrant. Life is being alive, living every day, living to the full, engaging, being engaged in life. Movement, change, growth. And that's, that's, the, that's a person is not truly considered a person unless they're constantly moving and changing. And the nature of constant movement and constant changes, the only way to grow is you have to go through a period of nothingness. The seed must rot. 
the answer leads to a question where you feel totally troubled and puzzled and confounded and confused and frustrated and inner turmoil and chaos and you feel like, you feel like a, you, you, a free fall and you lose your balance and yesterday you had everything was perfect you had your act together you had your life together everything made sense everything was so clear crystal clear and now a day later suddenly you feel like your whole life is falling apart and that moment where the moment you feel like you, you, you despair and you feel like the seed is totally rotted and you feel like you're lost and it's hopeless and, and you're so confused and confounded and, so, and out of that darkness suddenly the lightning bolt suddenly the eureka moment suddenly you open up into a whole new a whole new uh, vista opens, opens up for you. And suddenly you get, you, get, you get the answer. Enters into your consciousness. That answer, that higher level of integration that you intimated before, you just had an intimation by the fact that suddenly you're dissatisfied. That dissatisfaction is a signal from your subconscious, from your inner soul that's telling you, I'm stuck. I feel like I'm in a straitjacket. With all your logical conceptions and understanding, it's too limiting. I need something much more. I'm, re- I'm ready for a higher level of integration, a much deeper insight, move, movement in a new direction. And you're just, you're just putting me in a straitjacket. So the soul is like rebelling. The soul is frustrated. And that creates inner chaos. So the darkness, the question is really... Part of the ascent is really the, the, the one step back, the sliding down the mountain, is really part of the growth. It's the growth that leads to the sliding. It's the answer that leads to the question. The redemption leads to the exile. It's not the reverse. It's like the baby brings the pain. What comes first? The birthing pangs or the baby? The baby. Because there's a baby, there's something new that's ready to come into this world, that brings the pain. Because it's the baby pushing out because it wants to be born. Something new wants to be born into this world. It's pushing its way through the, the confines and therefore it creates all this pain and this stress and this tension. But the truth is, the baby comes first. The answer comes first. The redemption comes first. That leads to the exile. It's, it's, it's a whole different way of looking at it. We're looking at it all wrong. Superficially, yes, the question comes first. But the truth is just the opposite. The answer comes from So not only is it possible for a tzaddik to fall, this is the way of life. The way of life is constant movement. And you cannot have movement, you can't have a burst of creativity, a real leap forward, to leapfrog, to, to, to jump ahead, unless you have a level of nothingness, a level of very, which is a very painful moment. Nothingness is a painful moment. Because at that moment, you're nothing. You're not a, a tree and you're not a seed. The seed loses the properties of a seed. And it's nothing. It's not, a, it's not even a seed. It's absolutely nothing. It's zero. It's extremely painful. It's like when you squeeze the olive to get, to get the, the, the uh, oil. With the, the moment of squeezing is a very painful moment. Because at that moment, you, you don't have the oil, but you don't have the olive anymore. The olive is squeezed and crushed. It's a very crushing moment. It's a very painful moment. But that's the moment of, that leads to the, the, the burst of creativity a new path, a new direction in your life. So he's saying this is almost built into the nature that a person has to constantly move forward and the only way to move forward is by first falling back, by one step back, losing your back, becoming nothing, falling, losing your high level. So even the tzaddik, and maybe especially the tzaddik, is constantly experiencing this fall, 
He's not always on his peak. No one is ever always at their peak. We would like to. We think we would like to be supermen or superwomen. We think we would like to be always at our peak and always perfect and always 100%. And, and if we don't live up to our perfect expectations, we feel terrible. But we don't understand that this is part of life. Life is movement. Life is dynamic. Life is vibrant. And the only way to grow being at your peak gets in the way. Because your peak today is not good enough for tomorrow. And if you're going to stay tomorrow at your peak, if you're going to light the second night of Hanukkah, you're going to stay at your peak, which is one candle, which is a tremendous peak. Yesterday was the peak. I came from nothing, and now I have one candle. I made a blessing, and I ushered in Hanukkah. But if I stay stuck at the peak, yesterday's peak, it's actually blocking me. It's getting in my way. It's not allowing me to grow. If a person feels that he's perfect, and the person feels that he has it all figured out, that could be the greatest blockage to growth, the greatest obstacle to growth. A person has to have a sense of nothing, of confusion, of chaos. I don't know. I don't understand. I'm lost. Oh, now. Now we're talking. Now you're a vessel. Now you're a vehicle for growth. As the saying says, you can't fill a full cup. In order to fill a cup, you have to be empty. If a person doesn't have a sense of emptiness, if a person doesn't have a sense of restlessness, of emptiness, of, of dissatisfaction, deep dissatisfaction, if a person is so happy with himself and so content with himself, then, then it's all over. A ripe tree falls off, falls off, a ripe fruit falls off the tree. In order for the fruit to, to remain connected, the fruit has to feel there's room for growth. So it's only when you're open for growth, when you're hungering for growth, when you feel lost and you feel confused and you feel some inner turmoil and a sense of hunger and restlessness, now, now you're ready for the next level. That's the vessel that enables you to receive the new direction. Otherwise, otherwise you block your limited conscious level. Whatever peak you've achieved becomes a block, a blockage and doesn't allow any new direction, any new movement when you're ready for the new movement and you're ready for the new direction. Because of yesterday's peak. Yesterday's peak led you, helped you graduate to the next level, and now I'm ready for the next level. I have to let the next level in. And the next level will take me by surprise. They'll move my life in a new direction. Every day life is a new discovery. And we discover new things. And we, and we can move in, in a totally brand new direction with a fresh enthusiasm, with a fresh excitement. If it's the same old, same old, same old, it grows very tired and stale and... After a while, it grows very, very old. A person has to be fresh, current, dynamic, alive, as if for the first time. And all the great people had this quality. They had a tremendous curiosity. Even when they were 80, 90 years old, they never lost that, that youthfulness, that sense of wonder and a sense of curiosity and that hunger for knowledge. You know, as if, as if they, were, they were like children in a candy store. You know, like just... just with such zest and to learn and to understand and to explore. And the greater the person, the more youthful they are. That's the sign of greatness. They ask questions and no one else asked. Everyone else took it for granted. Why does the apple fall? No one even asked that question. It took Newton to stop and wonder and, and stop. I'm not going any further. I don't understand. Explain it to me. 
know, most people just dismiss it and just move on, you know, yeah, yeah you know, that's it. And, then, and that becomes the biggest uh, blockage of growth, when you think you know, when you think you understand. So, so it's not only he's saying that even the tzaddik can fall. What he's trying to explain now is, especially the tzaddik must fall, must fall from his peak, from his high level, in order to, to, to create a spurt of growth, in order for him to move, and not just to move inch by inch, but to jump forward, to leap forward, to burst through, to break open, revolutionize in a totally new direction, open up a new depth, a new dimension in your life. You must fall. And that's a very painful moment for the tzaddik and for anyone else. Because at that moment, when you lose your balance, you lost your previous, but you don't yet have the new level. It's like if a person played it safe and, you know, a person was trying to learn how to swim and always played it safe and always walked on the beach but never, never waded into the water, you'll never learn how to swim, right? How, do you, how are you going to learn how to swim? You have to let go. How do you let go? You have to wade in the water. Now, that's a very, very dangerous moment because at that moment you lost your balance. You're not standing, but you haven't yet learned how to swim. You don't have your balance yet in swimming. It's your first time. And at that moment you feel lost. You feel very, many people can't do it because they, they run back to safety. I'll do what I, what, I, what I know well. I'll walk. And that person will never learn how to swim, never ever. He's too afraid. He's afraid of the unknown. He just can't, he's afraid to lose control, afraid to lose his balance. A person who's afraid is paralyzed by that fear. That person can never grow. A person can never really learn something new, try something new, do something new, do something different. That person is predictable as, as anything. In order for a person to grow, you have to lose your balance. There's no other way. The Talmud tells us, Rabbi Zaira fasted a hundred fasts that he should forget, in order that he should forget the Babylonian Talmud, in order that he should be worthy of understanding the Jerusalem Talmud. We know that there are two Talmuds. The Mishnah is, is the same. The Mishnah was developed in the land of Israel. But then after the destruction of the temple, the, uh, the Jewish life really shifted to Babylonia. That became the center of Jewish life. But life continued in Israel. So the, f- the secondary center of Jewish life was in Israel, but the f- primary center of Jewish life was really outside of Israel, Chutzlar, it's in Babylonia, in Iraq. And that became the main Talmud that we study, most Jews study, is the Babylonian Talmud, not the Jerusalem Talmud. The Jerusalem Talmud is written very very concisely, very brief, sharp, to the point. The Babylonian Talmud, which was written like a hundred years later, is much more elaborate, discussions, back and forth, and um, is much more accessible. And the, so Rabbi Zeira, who grew up in the way of thinking of the Babylonian Talmud, wanted to elevate himself. He wanted to reach a level where he can learn on the level of the Jerusalem Talmud, which is a much higher level. You know, it was much more concise and to the point. It was, in a way, it was much more brilliant. And you had to be a very high level to appreciate that way of thinking of the Jerusalem Talmud, the rabbis of the Jerusalem Talmud. So he fasted a hundred fast that he should forget the Babylonian Talmud, the entire Babylonian Talmud, because as long as he, as long as he was admired in the way of thinking of the Babylonian Talmud, it interfered with his being able to absorb this new way of thinking, this new path of learning. 
which was which was like the difference between uh, university level, between university level learning and you know undergraduate and graduate level. It's a whole different level of learning, much deeper level of learning, much more profound level of learning. And he felt that his knowledge of the, his mastery of the Babylonian Talmud would actually interfere with his being able to learn this new path, this new approach, and this deeper approach to learning. So he prayed and he fasted a hundred fasts that he should forget the Babylonian Talmud so that in order he should be able to. So the previous level gets in the way, interferes. So if you want to grow, you must go through a level of nothing. There is no other way. The only way to create something is something from nothing. You have to reach a level of nothing. When a person is pretty arrogant and self-content and satisfied, that person will learn nothing. When a person is brokenhearted and you feel like you're broken to a thousand pieces and you're confounded and confused and you feel like you're in such a darkness and and you're miserable and you're in pain because you're trying to understand something and it doesn't make sense to you. And out of that, out of that darkness, out of that pain and misery, it gives birth. Those are the growing pains that give birth to a new understanding, a brilliant moment, a flash of, of illumination that guides you into a whole new path and a whole new direction. And that's the only way. Growing pains. There is no other way. And it's not a negative. It's a positive. It's part of growth. You have to look at it that way. It's very difficult to look at it that way when you're experiencing it. Because when you're experiencing it, all that you can experience, all you can, is the pain. Not what was before and not what was after. But it's important to remember that what's really going on internally, the inner dynamics, is really all positive. Even the setbacks is really all positive. Is it important to see this pain, or to because if, if, if let's say one sees the pain and then sees, you know, looks at the positives and says, oh, well, this must be a good thing. I mean, then maybe that reduces the pain, and then maybe you don't get the full effect of the answers to the questions. I don't know if that makes any sense. It it doesn't reduce the pain because when you're experiencing it, it's it's very very painful. But you don't you don't you don't despair. If you understand what's going on, you don't despair. You understand the inner dynamics, it's very, very helpful because then you don't despair. You realize that, that you've outgrown. You've outgrown your previous peak. Your previous peak was a peak. It was perfect. It's not like it was flawed. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. Savor that moment. You know, savor that moment and cherish that moment. But precisely because it was a genuine moment, that has led you, your life has to move on. And this is a signal from your soul. Your soul is crying out, hey, you're putting me in a straitjacket. Yesterday's peak is today's jail, today's confinement. And I'm ready to move on. And whether we're ready or not, <laughs> the soul moves on. If we're not ready, we experience all sorts of inner chaos in our lives. It's really just a signal from the soul telling us, whether you're with me or not, I'm going forward. <laughs> And the smart thing to do and the wise thing to do was grab on, put everything, fasten the seatbelts, and come along with it for the ride. And, uh, Actually, know, that's my next question. How do you, how do you deal with that, in that, that time period? You know, un- understand, knowing that, that your soul is restless, what could you do to help? Well, firstly, firstly, it's, you know, it helps to listen. It helps to pay attention. Most of us 
including rabbis and judges, I mean, people who are paid to listen, are terrible listeners. It's like the story of um, a person who was his first day on the job, you know, as a psychiatrist. And, uh, you know, this young, young doctor, first day, he's 30 years old, and after the first day, his head is spinning. He just can't take it. And listening to human misery and the pain and the complexities, he runs into Dr. Goldstein, the head doctor, and he says, I don't understand. How do you do this? He's been doing this for 30 years. So the doctor says, who's listening? <laughs> yeah. Um, and not only don't we listen to others, we don't listen to ourselves either. Just like you listen to others, you have to listen to yourself. Well, why is your soul any worse than others? Your soul is speaking to you. What, what's your soul? Chopped liver. <laughs> your soul is trying to speak to you. It's trying to tell you something. Yes, he's speaking a very foreign language, and he's speaking a very difficult language, because we're not, we're not sure. It's not clear. But we just know that something is not right. I don't feel right. Something is not right. Just like physically, when you don't feel right, you know something is wrong. Even no symptoms, you just don't feel right. So too, spiritually and emotionally, you just inside, you just don't feel right. Something is not, you know, there are moments when you feel you're at your peak and everything is connected and everything is beautiful and, uh, you know, you feel integrated, centered, focused. And the next day, you feel like drifting. It's not right. It doesn't feel right. Something is wrong. But I have no idea what. And unless you listen, unless you truly listen, you're probably going to climb, either ignore it or just climb the wrong ladder. You're going to try to figure out logically, and you, you, you're clueless. You have no idea what your soul is telling you. Because your soul is speaking from the subconscious. Your soul is speaking from a very deep place, which defies words, easy words, easy definitions, easy descriptions, clinical descriptions, easy. All these words, it doesn't do it for you. It doesn't. Like you hear the answer and it doesn't resonate. It doesn't ring a bell. You ask the teacher a question, the teacher gives you an answer, but it doesn't satisfy you. Inside. In your kishkis, it doesn't satisfy you. It doesn't do it for you. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't ring a bell. It's not, it doesn't evoke any response from within. So you know, you know that it's nothing. So you move on. You listen until let the soul speak to you. You have to listen. You have to create a space, a little empty space. You know, get rid of your ego for a little, put your ego on the side a little and just listen. Most people don't listen. When they're listening to you, then they didn't hear a word you said. They're just thinking immediately about their own response, about the clever response. They're not truly listening to what you're saying. But the truth is, you yourself don't know what you're saying. Because <laughs> you're saying something, something is bothering you. But you, you, Most people don't know themselves what's really bothering you. They're saying, they think this is what's bothering them, and, they, and it comes out in very clever words and very sensible words, but that's not really what's bothering it's only when you truly listen, you really hear what the person is really saying. And it may not be what it appears to be. So you have to listen to yourself also. And within that chaos and that inner darkness and that inner turmoil, there is, there is your soul is speaking to you. It's a communication of the soul. It's an SOS signal from the soul. But we don't have the time to listen. But if we don't have the time to listen, it's not like we're saving any time. <laughs> that time will be will be spent in, in chaotic activities, in negative activities. So it pays, to, it's effort, it takes effort to listen. It's not easy. And how, how do you shut down? You have to shut down to listen. Yes. 
That's why it's so All difficult. All these things that we go. That's, uh, that's, <clears throat> how do you shut, shut that's, down? That's, that, that's shutting down your ego, which is the most difficult thing in the world. Most people never stop talking inside and outside. It's all, you know, that's the hardest thing in the world, to shut down your ego for one split second. Just shash still and just move aside and just, just forget about yourself for one second and just truly listen to what's really going on. It takes, it's, it's, effort. it's not just external effort, it's internal effort. It's, it's the idea of, of self-nullification rising above you. It's very difficult, but it's very rewarding. It's the most rewarding thing in life. There's no formula? There's no formula. But it's the, mo- it's, the most, it's the most rewarding thing in life because when you listen and you get a communication from something deep inside of you, something stirs deep inside of you, uh, that's the most pleasurable thing on earth. There's nothing external in the world that can possibly even come close to a direct communication from your own soul when, you, when something resonates inside of you and something rings a bell inside of you and something evokes a response inside of you and you're truly listening and you really get something and something stirs... That's the most pleasurable. There's nothing physically pleasurable that even comes close. Can we assume you've experienced that? Don't assume anything. (laughs) No, because you're talking about it like from a a real experience. Halavai. To be able to listen, you have to create an emptiness. You have to remove yourself. You can try an experiment. (laughs) Try an exercise. Next time someone asks you to listen to them, take your spouse. Uh, next time someone asks you to listen, try repeating what they say, almost word for word, without any input, without your comments and any of your own words. Try almost to say, almost word for word, exactly what they've said, as they say it. You'll see how difficult it is. <laughs> because you really have to listen. And when you really listen and you repeat back to them what they said, they will respond tremendously. The reason people don't respond is because people are not really listening. But if you truly listen, because when you will listen to someone else, the other person is able to hear himself also, truly listen to himself also. And they can go much deeper inside and really, really, really listen. What are they really saying? Not what externally, superficially. Because sometimes you think, oh, this is bothering you. And, you know, and you, get, and you, have, and you build a whole logical argument. And it's, it's, nothing can be further than the truth. That's not what's bothering you. But until you really listen... You really can't get, it, you know, you don't allow it to come out. You don't allow it to emerge. You don't allow that what's going on inside to really surface. So people stay stuck and frustrated, and that's it. And they end up 30 years at a therapist with no, no movement. And broke. And broke. Not the therapist. But they, <laughs> I once asked the people who work in theater, how do, they, how do they do it? They do the same show sometimes a thousand times, three times a day. Did you ever try telling a joke? It could be the funniest joke in the world, but to you, to you, that joke is so stale. If you hear it one more time, you're going to scream. Tell, tell that joke, no one will laugh. If you're not laughing, no one is laughing. You can tell the stupidest joke, but if you find it funny, if, you, if it tickles your, 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 your bone inside of you, everyone will laugh because it's just, that's just the way things are. So how can you play the same play over? Okay, you must be bored stiff. And if you're bored stiff, it could be the most fascinating story in the world. How does the audience, how, how does the audience accept it and find its own entertainment? And they told me, very interestingly, they said, on the contrary, when they do a play hundreds of times, that's when they first start appreciating it. 
Firstly, every play they do, they try to find something, emphasize a new angle of the play of the story. But it's only when they're doing it hundreds of times that it, it really sinks in, really absorb it, and then they really get it, as if for the first time, like their eyes open up. It's like, you know, they've been doing it for months and months, and suddenly, wow, this is what's the point. You know, and, and we all have that experience occasionally, something you know for years and you've heard about over and over again, and one moment, suddenly, you get it. It's like, it hits you. The previous Abhavish Rebbe once said, if someone studies something 70 times, the difference between the 69th time and the 70th time is more dramatic than the difference between 0 and 1, or 1 and 2. Because only when you let it sink in, and that suddenly the most simple, obvious thing that just eluded you was right there, but you didn't pay attention, and suddenly it hits you. The, 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 profoundity, the, the profundity and the depth of, of, of what it's all about. So you're right, that's what the listening is. When you truly listen, you discover tremendous, tremendous depth. And that's, by the way, that's, by the way, is the quality of the, of the woman. The woman in Kabbalah represents, in the universe represents the receiver. This is what receiving is all about. To receive is not passive. To receive is the most dynamic activity in the universe. Take, for example, Earth. Earth receives a seed, okay? but the earth listens. The earth has no ego. Every, everyone steps in the earth. It receives. But the earth is the only one in the universe that has the power to create. Angels can create. Fire can Energy can create. The only thing that can create is earth. Because earth listens. Earth removes itself. It takes the seed. And it listens to the seed. And you know what it hears in the seed? Something that the seed never suspected itself that it, that it has, it possesses. The earth sees in the seed, not a seed, a tree with branches, with fruit. Where, where did you find all of that in that tiny seed? Where exactly did you see it in the seed? You taste the seed, it's tiny, it's bitter, it's nothing. And yet, the earth listened, the earth removed its ego, it received it, it absorbed it, it totally became one with it, and suddenly, from this tiny, that's why the Talmud says that God created ten measurements of speech in the world and nine he gave to women. Now, it's not a, it's not a put down women, on the contrary. What the Talmud is telling us is, what's the nature of men? You know, you asked him about an experience. You know, in two minutes, it's all over. I'll tell you exactly what happened. Next. The, seem- <laughs> the most seemingly meaningless experience. If you speak to a woman, that experience could take a whole hour to describe. But, but the truth is, because she personalizes everything. She experiences everything. And when you experience it, it's, 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 like, it's, it's like giving birth to a baby. For a man, it, it, it's a seed. Next, it's all over. But the woman, it's a nine-month story. And she sees in this seed, from this seed, suddenly she sees a full-fledged human being, 248 limbs, 365 veins, with ear, with nails. Where, did you, where exactly did you see this child, this little seed? And yet it's all there. But because she absorbs and she receives and she listens and she internalizes and becomes one with her, and she's egoless, she removes her ego from and she allows to receive, therefore she's the creator. She's able to to take out so much, so much more than the seed even realizes itself that it has, it contains. 
So that's really the most dynamic, the most vibrant, most powerful force in the universe. It doesn't appear that way. In a superficial society, in a superficial world, in an egotistical world, where the louder something is, the more real it is. Where the more prominent, prominent something is, the more real it is. In a superficial world, the woman is not appreciated. The receiver is not appreciated. Everyone wants to be a giver. Everyone wants to be a macher, a mover, a shaker. I want to stand at the bimma. I want to stand with the talus and the tefillin. And I want to be... But in the real world, it's just the opposite. What makes the letters? Right. Superficially, the superficial person will tell you. The masculine aspect will tell you what makes the letters. The ink. That's not what makes the letters. It's, it's what you don't see that makes the letters. Otherwise, it would just be a blob of ink. It's the space, right? It will be the same. It's the space. The sculpture is what he removes that makes the sculpture. It's not what you see. It's what you don't see that makes the sculpture. What creates character? Character is not what the person does. What you see is what you don't see. What a person won't do. A person's red lines. That's what creates character. It's the inner. It's the depth. That's what gives a person depth that etches something defined, something clear, something real. So the, the, the woman, is, that's why she walks around. The chasen by the chuppah, she creates the, uh, the, the, the setting that etches the male, and it, it, it's a team. But the real inner dynamic, the real story, is not what you see, it's what you don't see. It's the foundation. It's the quiet. What you don't see. That's the, the receiving. That's what's much more profound. That's what's creative. That's what's dynamic. The exact opposite of the way we look at it. So the ability to listen, and like you say, to discover real depth, to really get to the... And the more you listen, the more you remove your ego. The, the deeper your silence is, the more... The, the, the deeper you go into the level of bittel, of self-nullification, the more creative you become. The more you allow the soul to emerge, the more you allow the soul to surface. The inner depth to come out in all, in all, all its beauty and all its glory. So it's commensurate to the level, the depth of self-nullification of our egolessness that we achieve the depth of soul that emerges into our consciousness. That's how we come in. That takes effort. We have to remove yourself. Removing yourself is active. Then you create the space that allows the soul to come out. If you don't, let, if you don't create any space, the soul has nowhere to emerge. So Kotzka Rebbe once asked his Hasidim, he says, where is God? He said, of course, everywhere. He says, no. God is wherever you allow Him to enter. If you don't allow Him to enter your heart, if you don't create a space, He has nowhere to enter. The soul has nowhere, nowhere to enter. It remains bottled up, blocked, concealed. Isn't God anywhere he wants to be? Of course. But he meant to say that, that for us, right, God is when we have to we have to choose and we have to exert the effort to nullify ourselves, to allow the soul to emerge, to allow godliness to emerge in our life, to bec- to, to become a part of our life. Of course God is everywhere, except in my conscious mind, except in my life, and except in my then no, God is, you have to allow Him into your life. You have to allow Him to integrate godliness into your life, to internalize godliness in your life. And the only way to do it is, it's commensurate to the level of bittel, the level that you nullify your ego and you nullify yourself, that you allow the soul to emerge. So it is effort. It's concentration, it's focus. It's, that's what he constantly keeps on saying, meditation, focus, concentration. Really, really 
paying attention, listening, absorbing, being open. And we're the only ones who can do it. You know, it takes, we have to make a choice, a deliberate choice. We have to deliberately remove ourselves and allow the neshama to speak. So we are partners in this process. We're not passive. We are, it's a very active, it's a, it's a combination of active and passive. We're very active, we remove ourselves and allow the neshama to speak our language. And if you, when you evoke a response within, and something stirs inside of your soul, that's the most refreshing, the most rewarding, the most deepest, deepest pleasure in life. Nothing physical can even come close to having a desire, having a direct stirring of your soul, a communication from within. When you feel it's something, an int- you feel integrated, you feel whole, you feel connected. And that's what makes life worth living. Everything else is external, superficial. And that's what we're really hungering for in life and yearning for in life. 828. Especially so since the condition of spiritual service dictate that at given times he will not maintain his level, for man is called mobile and not static. This phrase not only means that man is obliged to be ever reaching for ever greater heights, it means moreover that his newly attained level is infinitely more elevated than his previous level. When one is constantly on the same level, or even when one advances in, in finite stages from one comparable level to the next, there is no, no need to abandon one's former level before establishing one's foothold on the next. On the contrary, one's former position may well help one to take the next step upward. When one is truly mobile, however, climbing from one level to an infinitely higher one, his previous level, which is finite, compared to the level he is about to attain, actually hinders his progress. Indeed, if he aspires to mature to a more exalted spiritual mindset, he must first purge himself of his previous one. He says the Torah refers to as a mahalach, as someone who's moving, who's mobile. If you're moving step by step, then on the contrary, one level leads to the next level, it's very stable, stable growth, stable movement, it's predictable then there's no need to lose your balance. On the contrary, you have to keep your balance and go one step leads to the next step. But if a, in order for a person to leapfrog ahead, to make a quantum leap, to, to, to be elevated to an infinitely higher level, in order to achieve that, a person must first lose his balance. And on the contrary, if you stay in the previous peak, that actually hinders your growth. So therefore, you have to go through this painful adjustment, growing pains. It's not a gradual movement. It's a radical leap forward. And a person must, in order for a person to be a whole person, a person must be dynamic and vibrant because we have a piece of God inside of us and God is infinite and therefore there's an infinite restlessness within us. We not only grow from level to level. Angels are called, they stand still because angels grow from level to level. Angels don't achieve quantum leaps. It's only in this world, the soul comes down to this world, because only in this world that we can possibly achieve quantum leaps. We can radically change and grow in unexpected ways, unpredictable ways. That's what miracles represent. Miracle represents a shattering of the laws of nature, a breakthrough, a unpredictable, something unpredictable. And a person is meant 
to live a life of miracles. If you spiritually, if your life is constantly moving and making leaps forward and growing in unexpected ways, in ways that are constantly surprising yourself, that is a miraculous way of life. And by the way, God responds to us commensurate to the life we live. If a person lives a very natural life, a very predictable life, a very square life, then God responds in kind. But if a person makes a quantum leap in his life and does something surprising and shattering and shattering of the, of the limitations and something that really moves you forward, Hashem responds in kind that miracles happen in your life, open miracles that you see, you see in your own personal life, in your physical life. Because Hashem responds to us in kind. Continue. And must therefore advance from one level to another infinitely, to another infinitely higher level, and not remain forever at one level. For if his new level is merely within range of the first, he is essentially fixated at the same level. Between one level and the next, before he can reach the higher one, he is in a state of decline from his previous level. And thus he lacks a superior level of love in which he is accustomed to delight. Ah, so when he's in a free fall, when he loses his balance, when he feels that level of nothingness, when he feels crushed, like the olive that's crushed, at that moment he has not yet achieved the new level, but he also lost the previous level. So he's like in limbo. So he lost the superior level of love which he's accustomed to. So he's referring to the tzaddik. The tzaddik who, uh, who experiences the higher level of love. But even the tzaddik must constantly grow and move forward and take a quantum leap forward. But, in, but in, in between, in the meanwhile, in order to achieve that leap, he has to turn into nothing. So at that level, he feels, the tzaddik feels lost. And the tzaddik loses that high peak that he was at. So at that level, he loses that level of love that he previously had. So he no longer has a level of the love of the tzaddik. So what's going to sustain the tzaddik during that free fall? Now comes the answer. Though he falls, he shall not be utterly cast down from his spiritual service and from his love for Hashem. This is considered a decline only relative to his former state and not, Hashem forbid, relative to all other men. He is most assuredly loftier than those who have not attained the level of tzaddik. Right, so even in this fall, you can imagine, you can understand yourself, that even when the tzaddik, even in this free fall, even when he's not at his peak, you would take him any day over, over an average Jew who, who is at his peak. The tzaddik in his fall is on a much higher level than the, the average Jew in his peak moment. Because a person doesn't, it's relative to his level, it feels like a fall. And relative to the tzaddik, it is a fall. He doesn't feel integrated, doesn't feel at his peak. He feels a little confused, he feels a little lost, he feels a little dissatisfied, restless. But that's only in comparison to his own level. But regarding the average person, he's light years ahead. You know, even Einstein, when he's puzzled and troubled, he'll take his mind any day. <laughs> over the, the physics professor who's perfect, who's, who's on his peak, who's, who's top level. Yeah, continue. For notwithstanding his fall, he still surpasses them in his divine service, inasmuch as it retains an impression of his former level. Because we know in holiness, holiness is forever. Holiness is eternal. Every level that you've achieved in holiness doesn't, never disappears. Energy never disappears. Modern physics teaches us energy never disappears. 
any level you've achieved in your spiritual life, in your godly life, is forever. Even when you fall and you lose it, there always remains an impression. You've changed forever. A part of you has changed forever. You'll never be the same. So there's a level of goodness, there's a level of depth, there's a level of that achievement that remains. The impression remains. So the person still is affected by that previous peak and that previous height and level of love. So even though he doesn't feel it consciously, but it's there. And the impression is there. And it still has an impact on you. So your personality has been changed. Your, your, it has transformed your personality, your character. So it's there. The impression is there. You're a person who's tasted it. Once you've tasted something, there's no going back. You've tasted it. If it's true in the negative, how much more so in the positive? We know once you lose your innocence, there's no going back. You can't pretend. You know, once they tell you first lie, you lose your innocence. You know, you lost it. You can't pretend that. How much more so in the positive? That once you've had a positive experience, the, uh, how much more so that that impression remains? Jeff, continue on page 830. For the next day of service, while he is in his fallen state, is the love of Hashem, in which he had been educated and trained from his youth, before he attained the level of Tzadik, with its higher reaches in the love of Hashem. So now he's coming to the answer. This is the answer. He's saying that, but the mainstay, the main reason, what really keeps the tzaddik going, even when he falls from his high level, from his peak, when he achieved the highest level of the love of a tzaddik, the main pillar that holds him, that nourishes him, that keeps him together, is the lower level of love. The level of love that every Jew can achieve. The manufactured love. Because even when you're not feeling at your peak, and even when you don't feel this natural, innate, inherent love, godly love of your soul to God, a person at all times, at all places, is in control of your mind. And you can always concentrate your mind, focus your mind, and develop and nourish and nurture a manufactured love to God, a logical love to God, a God based on the explanations that we studied earlier, realizing that God is energy and God is the source of energy and God is life. And what does a person want in life? What's life? What's a life worth living? Only thing that makes life worth living if it's a zestful life, it's a life full of energy. Can yes. I ask? Yes. So when you say a manufactured love of Hashem, like a logical love, does that mean that it's separated from the emotional part? No, but even the emotion is manufactured. It's, it, in other words, it comes as a result. It's almost like you're forcing yourself to. It's it's not a natural love that comes instinctively and naturally, like the soul, like a flame that naturally leaps up and wants to be absorbed in its source. It's a love that you almost have to, it's supposedly, it's so to speak manufactured because it comes about through your very deep, intense meditation and reflection until you're able to focus and focus your soul to pay attention, to realize that, that life, God is a source of life and God is a source of energy. What do I want in life? I want energy, I want passion. And the God is the source of life and the source of passions. So if you really want life, uh, I should really love God and love godly things because that's going to give me life. The more Torah I study, the more mitzvot I do, the more good deeds I do, that's, that will make, make me feel alive. But in a sense, of course you feel it. Your emotions are real. Okay. Emotions okay. are real, not manufactured. But relative to the level of the love of a tzaddik, which is almost like a blissful love, a natural, all-consuming love, this is, in a sense, manufactured because it's, it's, it's based on logic, that logic has, has 
and based on my focus and concentration, has directed me, directed me to love godly things. So in a sense, it's almost like I forced myself to love godliness through my effort, through my... Yeah, an emotional level. Yeah, love, love is emotional. But it comes about as a result of my almost forcing myself. Forcing myself to... It's like, it's like, I, it's like you, I, you take the head of a child and you turn it and say, look at the blackboard. So you're taking yourself, pushing yourself in the direction of godliness, forcing yourself to pay attention and to realize, what do I really want in life? I want life. I want passion. I want to be alive. And the only thing that would truly make me feel alive is if I study Torah and do mitzvot and I connect with the source of life, which is godliness. It's not natural, because natural to me, what's natural to me, what's instinctive to me is materialism, instant gratification. That's what's natural to me. Money, fame, power, pleasure. That's what's natural to me. To take my natural soul and to like, like taking the animal and harnessing it, taking it and pull, pulling it in the direction that you really want fun in life, you really want to be thrilled in life. The only real thrill and fun is godliness. No one's going to tell me that that's natural. In that sense, it's manufactured. You have to almost force it upon yourself. You have to grab the animal by the, by the bull, by the horn, and you have to turn it around and say, pay attention. Focus on spiritual things, on godly things. That, that's what you're going to find we really like in life. The reason life. I was asking is because sometimes you can you know, take that animal and logically get that animal to do things. For example, like sometimes I do things, we spoke, that... You know, I know that they're right, and on a logical level, they're great, and um, I do them out of service, but sometimes they're not always on an emotional level. Right. And, you know, hopefully, in Hashem, one day they will be, right. you know, right. they will come from an emotional right. level, but that's not always and that, so. And that's fine. That's fine. There are people who we learned in the first part of Tani, that people are not capable of passionate emotions. Not, every, not everyone is, you know, not everyone is a capable of inflamed emotions, people. But as long as you have like an emotional decision in your mind to follow the path. By the way, it reminds me of the story of Maimonides. Maimonides had an argument with other philosophers. If you can truly change an animal's nature. And they claimed that you could. So they trained, they invited the king and all his ministers. And these philosophers then spent three years training the cats. Trained them to walk. And they were going to serve a banquet, and the waiters were going to be the cats. They trained the cats to be waiters, to walk in dressed in tuxedos, carry the trays. The three stooges. And, and this was, environment. Anyway, Maimonides was also invited to the banquet to prove him wrong. Maimonides brought one little bag in the, in, with him. Anyway, and the, the king is there, and the ministers are there, and everyone is sitting there with, and my man that he's under the table, he opens up the bag and he lets out a mouse. <laughs> All the cats forgot about their tray and their dishes and their tuxedos and they run, run after the mice and it's all over. So in that sense it's manufactured because to the rest of our life, to the end of our days, for 99.9% of us who are not tzaddikim, it will be a struggle. Naturally, instinctively, a person could be on a diet for 20 years. But even after 20 years of dieting, that chocolate mousse still talks to you. <laughs> the person is honest, that's the truth. But you have discipline and you say no. You have enough presence of mind to say no. But no one's going no to delude himself that I've had such a core transformational that you can just land me in, a, you know, in, the most, in an ice cream shop or this and yeah, it doesn't mean anything to me. You know, you have to be honest. 
So in that sense, it's manufactured. You're like forcing your natural soul, you're disciplining and you're forcing and you're harnessing and you're, uh, to pay attention and to focus on godliness. Ideally, to develop a certain enthusiasm for it. Maybe not. Maybe just a discipline. But the animal soul is happy. Because when you do the right thing, even if it's difficult, when you don't eat that cake, you feel like a million dollars. So, so you're happy. But ideally, even enthusiastically. Because you, you can harness the animal, train the animal, the animal can even develop a taste. Even a, a certain level of love. But that takes a lot of work. That's why prayer is called avoida. Avoida means service, effort. It's hard work. That, that's what I mean manufactured. Because it's like taking leather hide of an animal and transforming it into, into, into fine leather, smooth leather. That's hard work. It doesn't happen naturally, instinctively. You know how much work goes into taking raw heart of an animal and making it into like silky, silky leather? Extremely hard work. That's the same with our human nature and human personality. God created us with an ego. Our egos are very rough. We're rough at the edges, not just at the edges. We're egotistical and we're self-centered and self-absorbed. We can be nasty and brutish and, and mean and just, just, just very selfish and petty and jealous and angry. I mean, we have a lot of work cut out ahead of us, each one of us. And each one of us has our own personalities and different challenges. Some have anger problems, some have superiority complexes, some have inferiority complexes. Everyone has their issues that they have to deal with. But we, through service, through prayer, in prayer we work in ourselves. In that sense it's manufactured. It's not natural, it's not instinctive. No one is born naturally, instinctively. A man, you have to work on it. And you have to work on your personality, work on your character. And until you develop fine, a fine mensch, a fine personality, a fine character, it doesn't happen. In that sense, it's manufactured. That's what he means. Unlike the tzaddik, the tzaddik has a natural love. The same natural love that we have toward materialism. The tzaddik has a passion, an urge, a fiery urge to study Torah. We can't even imagine what, the, what, what, the, what's, what that's like. But a tzaddik has a yetzahorah, has a has a burning urge. Just like some people have a burning urge to run to run to, to Las Vegas. This, this tzaddik has a burning urge to run to shul, to learn, to daven. That's natural. That's instinctive. But what happens when the tzaddik falls, is in a state of fall. He's fallen from his peak because he's in, in, he's in between levels. He's ready to make a quantum leap forward and right now he's in a free fall relative to his level. But nevertheless, he's in a free fall, relative to his level. He feels unbalanced. What sustains him then? This manufactured love. Because every person, even when they don't, they don't feel their godly soul, they're not in touch with the natural instinct of the godly soul, and all they feel then, they may feel, is the animal soul, but a person has enough presence of mind to focus your mind, focus your attention, take the animal by the bull, take the bull by the horn and pull it and say, listen, pay attention, think about it. What's real in life? What's not real? What's a means? What's an end? Godliness, that's the energy. That's the source. You want to feel alive. You want to feel vibrant. You want to feel the only way to do it is through Torah and through mitzvah. And you can discipline the animal that way. It's hard work. It's effort. It's extremely hard work. And every day we have to eat again. Every day we have to daven again. We have to work again. Yesterday's inspiration won't, won't do it for me this morning. Rabbi, you're differentiating. The, we learned elsewhere in the Tanya that, that our... Neshama has an innate love of Hashem. So basically what you're saying is, is that we're dealing with training the animal soul to follow and go with 
the with the neshama's innate love. Right, but we don't. Hashem. Right, but we don't feel that innate love. That's our problem. The tzaddik feels that innate love. By us, that innate love is our subconscious, but it's not our conscious. It's not our conscious level. I mean, let's be honest. How, how, how many of us, how often do we feel that innate love? Innate love for ice cream, yes. But innate love for godliness, I don't know. It's there. It's hidden. It's there. But it's many, most of us, it's very submerged. Many of us, it's submerged quite well. It's deep down. It's there. Every Jew has it. A, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. It's there. It's definitely there. But in our daily lives, on our daily basis, it's, 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 like, it's, like, it's like the deep love that we have for life, for health. We don't feel it. 90, 90% of us actively lead unhealthy lives. We don't we, feel it. It's not right? conscious. We don't always have that feeling of, for life in that way. We sometimes have a destructive nature, a suicidal nature. That's the point. These kinds of natures. But the, the love, the innate love for Hashem is always good. No, it's always no but I'm saying in 99.9% of us, we all have a love for life. And, and yet, 90% of the time, we actively lead unhealthy lives because it's subconscious. It's not a force in our life. That's the human condition. It's immaturity. We don't connect. We, 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 there's like a, a grand canyon between who we really are and, what, and the status quo. That's called gullus. That's called a dream. The whole, this, is, this is life. It's also how we see ourselves and how other people see exactly, us. Exactly, exactly. We don't feel the power of the godly soul. If we felt the power of the godly soul, none of us would ever sin. It, it, not only we wouldn't sin, it wouldn't even be a possibility for sin. And that's only true of the tzaddik. The tzaddik has no temptation to sin. He has a temptation to study Torah and do mitzvahs and do good deeds. That's his whole life. Could we say the same about ourselves? Who are we kidding? You want to... This then is what is meant. This then is what is meant by saying that even as he grows old, he will not depart from it, from the path of his youth. Not when he is old, but as he grows old. This implies an ongoing, lifelong climb from level to level. Yet even when he has risen to the dizziest heights of love for God, he will yet have occasion to revert to, to the path of his youth, to the lower, more measured level of love that is born of meditation. So this is the answer. This is the explanation of the verse that he started out with. That educate a child, a youthful, in his youthful way. What's a youthful way? Because even the tzaddik in his youth, he has to start out with a manufactured love. But then the tzaddik reaches the height, he outgrows his childish love in comparison to the love of the tzaddik. It's compared to a childish love. It's an eagle. It's a, I'm sorry, an eagle. It's a manufactured love. It's an external love. Comparison to the real love, the all-encompassing love of the tzaddik. Um, the innate, inherent, natural, instinctive love to godliness, this is compared like a childish love. But nevertheless, teach the tzaddik how to achieve a childish love. Even the tzaddik has to be able to develop that love because even as he grows up and he outgrows his childish love and he reaches the level of the love of delight, the highest, the, uh, the highest uh, peak of love, nevertheless there will be moments in his life, inevitably, and that's positive, when he will fall, when he will lose his peak. Nevertheless, he'll have that foundation. Even in those low moments, what will nourish him, what will nurture him, what will keep him going, it's the lower level of love, the, the secondary level of love, the childish level of love. This is the introduction. Let's uh, finish up the... Uh... First among the factors that arouse love and fear in their foundation is a pure and faithful belief in the unity and oneness of God. May he be blessed and exalted. Oneness here means that all of creation is united with God and utterly nullified to him. That is to say, pure faith in God's unity is the starting point and foundation of one's meditation 
an Yehuda Ila, higher level unity, and Yehuda Tata, lower level unity. Okay. This meditation. Yeah, okay, finish, yeah. In turn leads to the love and fear of Him. Okay, you know what? Let's, we'll, we'll do this next week. Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.